Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Don't Miss This Podcast, a Come Follow Me study with Emily Bell Freeman and David Butler. We fill this show up with all the things we think you don't want to miss in the scriptures every week. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoy the show. Hi, everybody. I'm David Butler. I'm Emily Freeman. Welcome to Don't Miss This. Um, if you, We are on our third week of the Old Testament so playlist series right now. If you're new to our community, big fat welcome to you. <laughs> We're so glad that you're here. We do a YouTube or slash podcast lesson each week that coincides with the Come Follow Me curriculum of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And we just go through and uh, we share all the things that we think you don't want to miss. Which is where our name came from. Not that you don't want to miss this. <laughs> Although you don't want to miss this. Come <laughs> but on. we thought but. we would love to point out just the little nuggets in there that you just don't want to miss as you're studying these chapters. So you can find this lesson. Obviously, you found it <laughs> on YouTube or podcast. Um, or we also, let's talk about oh, yeah. uh, the living scriptures. If you have an account there, you're going to be able to pull it up on your TV there, which makes it so easy. And drum um, roll. Oh, yeah. Last week, we uh, announced that we have an app now. So in our app that you can get, we have the, all the YouTube videos and the podcast will come up each week. Right now, we're in the process of up- uploading all our past content mm-hmm. into there also. And we send out a weekly newsletter every week that includes... Um, just helpful information and teaching tips for if you have young kids or if you have teenagers or if you, for adults, if you're studying as a and couple And let's talk about teaching tips is not as much like how to teach, but more so here's an object lesson or here's an activity or um, for the adults, we will usually put in, here are some other chapters you might want to dive into or other resources that we went to, to learn more about this knowledge. So they're They're the tips that we would either be using in our family or the places we went to study to prepare for the lesson. For that particular lesson. So they're not necessarily general teaching tips. They're like, oh, for Moses 4 and 5, here's a good teaching tip for kids, teens, and Mm. for adults. So we have that newsletter that you can sign up for at don'tmissthisstudy.com. But that actually comes into the app each week also. So everything that we have at our creating is right there in just one convenient place. And then our most favorite part of the app, I don't know, maybe it's tied for first place. We don't know, but it is really rad, is this section in there that we call daily. And it includes a daily... It might be fun to show it oh, while you yes, talk about yes, it. Yes, 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 yes. Okay, when you open up in the app, which is so cute because it's the little don't miss this logo. <laughs> that's There you go. You saw it. And then you come into this section that's called daily in here. And it, under the Old Testament, you can find where the lesson is. I'm going backwards showing you this. Okay. And then for five, five days of that week. We have Monday five, through Friday. Yeah. For each lesson, we have just a little thought that corresponds and goes along with that. Like for last week's lesson, we have in there... Uh, one of our favorite songs, it's called Good, Good Father, and we just link to it in there. And then we have a little prompt or a question that goes with it. Or a, a challenge yeah, or, or an invitation. Something. And this one was, listen to the song, play it in your car all day, and pay close attention to the words. As you think about its messaging, write down one thing you love about him, then write down one thing he loves about you. And we're just thinking you could use 
these little daily prompts maybe as the first thing you do as you wake up in the morning just to kind of align your mind and heart uh, toward God. Or you'll do it at the breakfast table with all your kids before everyone goes off to school or starts or the carpool, day. Or carpool, maybe. Yeah, just something that, it's just five at minutes or less. At the end of the less. day, yeah. right before you go to bed, family prayer. And we just love the thought of keeping each other in the scriptures as we go. So yeah. that's just a fun way to do that. And the other awesome thing about the app is that we worked out a plan where you can have, when you buy the subscription, five users within your household can also use that subscription with you. So yeah. that's really so it's awesome. So awesome. Okay, in the app, you'll also find our timeline if that's convenient, or you in can get newsletter. it by signing up on the newsletter. Yep, both those places. And this is free. Um, this whole download is free for you. So you'll just take it somewhere to get printed and then do, you'll want to print, there's a 13 page colored PDF that has each of the things that are going to go on every week. Yeah. So each week we kind of show you, oh, this is where we're moving in the timeline of the Old Testament, kind of keep you in order. So today we'll put on our piece, which is our piece, which is um, Adam and Eve. That's the story of today. And we'll just put that right there with their little fig leaf. And it goes in that little spot. And then uh, let's jump in. Okay, so as we get started, as we were talking about this lesson, we talked about the story of Adam and Eve is so significant, particularly in our culture, in the culture of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And why? Why is it so significant? And we kind of want to enter in talking about that. What is the significance of this story for each of us. And I just want to start out by telling you an experience that happened to me several years ago. Sacrament meeting had ended. I was walking down the hall. The Sunday school president came and found me and said, we don't have a teacher for the 14 year olds. So could you take the class? And this was the time when we used to study those core doctrines. And so that month we were studying the plan of salvation and it was in the middle of the month. So they had already had the plan of salvation in Sunday school and in young women by the time I came in which is really hard to do when you come in as a fresh teacher because you don't know what they already know or what they've learned. So I ran to the library. I got a whole bunch of pieces of white paper and I just went in and said, okay, I'm going to split you into twos and I want you to draw for me what you already know about the plan of salvation. And as they were drawing and, and talking, and I just kept saying to him, one of the things I want you to make sure you do on your paper is just show me where Jesus fits into the plan. So if you were going to tell me where Jesus fit into the plan, make sure you show that. And so everybody worked on it. And then, um, we laid them all out on the floor and we had this lesson that ended up being one of the most profound experiences of my life. In fact, it, it was so life-changing for me that I remember going home that day and thinking about it all day long. And then Monday I woke up and I was still thinking about the lesson. And on Tuesday when I woke up and was still thinking about the lesson, I texted my bishop and said, can I borrow your keys to the church? Because I had thrown away all those papers after we left on Sunday. And he was like, yeah, what are you going to do? And I said, I just, I need to get something out of the garbage can for my lesson on Sunday. And he said, oh, you know, those, that won't still be in the garbage can because we empty all the garbage cans after church on Sundays. So they're probably going to be in the dumpster. And I thought for a minute to think, how much did I want the papers? But then I was like, no, I know I want the papers. So <laughs> I got in the car and I put a ladder in there and a shovel and a rake in there. 
and um, started driving to the church and my phone rings. It's Greg. This is my favorite part of the whole story. And he calls and he's like, what are you doing? And I said to him, I'm just running over to the church to get in the dumpster and then I'll be right back. And he says this, okay, call me when you get home. <laughs> As if it's like totally normal for me to be like diving into the church dumpster. He's I do it all the time. All boys dumpster dive at one point in their life. So it's a natural part of so up. I get over to the church. <laughs> I get my ladder up. I have my rake. I climb up. You guys, I am perched on the top of this dumpster and I'm looking in there. And here's the thoughts going through my mind in that moment is like, what else is going to be in the dumpster with me? Right? Like <laughs> what's going to happen when I get in there? Because it, it doesn't smell good. I'm in my mind, there's like going to be furry creatures down there. I don't know what else is going to be in the garbage. There's huge, everything is in these huge black garbage bags. You know exactly what they look like. And I'm going to have to like Leaking rip open every one. And like, I have to get my brave up in order to <laughs> jump in. But I do, I jump in and, and, and also the thought of too, am I going to be able to get back out? <laughs> it's like, what if I get stuck in the church dumpster? At least Greg would have known I was there. And I start ripping open these garbage bags and it's in the third garbage bag I open that I finally see these papers all folded up. I still have them because that's how much I love this lesson. And um, my neighbor had come with me and when I got in the car, I laid them all out on the dashboard because she was dying to know what was so important on the papers that would cause me to dive into this dumpster. And they're just exactly what you think they would be, right? Uh, I'm gonna show you a couple of them. They just all are, if you had your kids draw the plan of salvation, they would just kind of look like this. But what happened in our class is one set of boys, this is what they put for their plan of salvation drawing, was this. Oh, can you see it all? Oh yeah, you can. Um, Jesus. And it was so interesting because I had everyone go through and explain their drawing. And when I got to these boys, I was like, okay, tell us the significance of your drawing. And I loved what they taught us in that moment, that the plan all along from the very beginning was Jesus. Mm -hmm. And we see him everywhere. We see him in the preexistence, right? You, that moment that was so crucial in the preexistence, and we see him all over in mortality, and we see him in this process of becoming, and then we're going to see him again at the very end. And, and it was so interesting that for them, they didn't need the lines and the arrows and the, you know, everything going on. They just needed us to know this was the plan from the very beginning. It was Jesus. And as we think about that, and as we get started learning about that, I think it's important for us to remember that because in order to understand the plan, it's imperative for us to understand Jesus, who he is, what he does and why he does it. That's what we need to know. And when we study the story of Adam and Eve, sometimes we get so caught up in the two trees and Adam and Eve and the snake that it's just like when we draw out the plan of salvation, right? We draw out that plan of salvation and you could never mention Jesus anywhere because you've got all the circles and lines. And the same thing is true with this story. You could draw two trees and a man and a woman and a snake. And that would be the story. But the trick is 
where is Jesus within the story? And, and I feel like the, the reason why this story is so significant to us is because in that garden, we learn some really important truths about Jesus. And that's what we're going to keep pulling back to as we go through. So we wanted to start by taking you into the garden. And as we do this, you might want to get out a piece of paper, pause the video, go get a piece of paper and a pen because we're going to actually draw as we go. So turn us back on when you get back. And what you'll want to do is just start out with two trees. That's what happens is there are two trees and we're going to start off with this tree right here. Yeah. And this matches this drawing on the board matches what you'll find in your, uh, in your study journal also. So you can just put all of this in here. We didn't have room to put the page on here because we wanted the trees to be really big. As yes. we, as we showed this, as so. we go through and it might be fun if you're teaching this to a class or, um, to your family to just start out and talk about, this is going to be the tree of knowledge of good and evil. When I looked at this, I was like, were you trying to write Tokyo? <laughs> <laughs> Tokogai. Okay. Tree of knowledge of, of good, good and, and evil. evil. So what do we know about the tree. And, and that's where we want to start is just what do we know about the tree? Well, let's say this before we jump in. When you read um, the Genesis oh, yes, or yes, Moses account so of the Garden of Eden, you have to recognize um, one thing that's kind of uh, interesting about like the King James translation is all the verses are put in there really nicely. Um, had you read in the original Hebrew, you would have seen spots when they were italicized or indented to show you like, oh, this is a spot of poetry. And some translations of the Bible actually do that and show that to you. So um, that would have been helpful because you have to understand the kind of literature it is that you're reading um, when you go into it. That th This is a way you know how to approach it, right? If we played... Um, a game I'm inventing in my mind I can't right wait. now. This is going to be so called fun. Find the Library Book. <laughs> it's a really, really fun game. Um, and I said to you, okay, we're in the library, and I said, go find a story, and it's about two magical trees and a snake and a woman that's made out of a rib and an angel with a flaming sword and fruit that does things to you and, and stuff like that. And I was like, what section of the library would you go to? Nobody would probably go to history or nonfiction section of the library. Yeah. And that's because this, this um, part of the Bible is written in what some people call um, mythopoetic. So kind of like a mix between myth and poetry. Um, or some people say imagistic. And it's just a story that's written um, just uh, like, um, you, know, uh, you know Van Gogh's Starry Night? Mm. <laughs> you know, someone could look at that and be like, that's not the night sky. And you're like, I know it wasn't intended to be. It was intended to invoke emotion and kind of ideas and just sort of give you just that general sense of it. And one of the purposes of mythopoetic is that you read it and you tell that particular story again and again and again. It's written in a way that's supposed to transcend time so that everything that happens to the characters in that particular story is something that you could relate to happening in your own particular life. I love the definition where it says, it's a teaching that uses storytelling or poetry as a means of self-understanding. Um, it's, it's like ritual that becomes sacred play. We're like, let me put myself into this story yeah. and then see what do I learn. And, and often it's truth given by symbol, right? So right. that you can start visualizing 
okay, this is what was happening there. Yeah, so you want to kind of approach it in that style, just sort of like, maybe don't get so particular about like the circles and the lines like you might in the drawing, but like, okay, what are the general ideas that are trying to be taught here? Um, Was there actually fruit in the garden? Was there actually a serpent? Uh, some of those things, I don't know. In fact, Were there we like actually trees? Trees, there. yeah, yeah. Or is everything just a symbol of a greater knowledge that will feel familiar to us as we as enter in? In fact, we like this line from Elder Holland. It's a, it's a talk that we'll link um, on, our, on our blog, on our website, so you can find it there. Um, but he says, in our increasingly secular society, it's uncommon as it is unfashionable to speak of Adam and Eve or the Garden of Eden or of a fortunate fall into mortality. Nevertheless, the simple truth is we cannot fully comprehend the atonement and resurrection of Christ. And we will not adequately appreciate his unique pur- the unique purpose of his birth or his death without understanding that there was an actual Adam and Eve who fell from an actual Eden with all the consequences that fall carried with it. I do not know, Elder Holland says, the details of what happened on this planet before that, but I do know that these two were created under the, under the divine hand of God for a time they lived alone in a paradisiacal setting where there was neither death nor future family, and through a series of consequences, excuse me, through a se- sequence of choices, they transgressed a commandment of God which required that they would leave that garden setting. So... There are just parts of it that are just like, I'm not trying to read this. Something happened historically. You know, if we were to rewind time, there would have been an Adam and an Eve and something occurred um, historically. But this story is telling whatever happened historically in, in a really that, beautiful yeah, way. mythopoetic style. Okay. So you want to approach the story correctly. So we're going to start in Genesis 2. And we're going to find out that in verse 15, the Lord God took the man and put him into the garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it, which I love that like that was his work there. It was just to um, protect and guard and keep that garden. And the Lord God commanded the man saying of every tree of the garden, thou mayest freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, the tokogai. (laughs) Thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. So as we think about that, we're going to start off with this one tree that is in the garden right here. And here are some of the things that we know about it. First of all, um, we know that by eating of that tree, you'll be cut off from the presence of God. So David's going to write as we go. That's something that is true about this tree. It also talks about in there um, that you would be, you would surely die, it says in there. Now, sometimes when I read this, I have written in my scriptures, you could also say this, in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely become mortal. That would mean the same thing. Or if you eat the fruit of this, you will become human. So this tree represents this pathway to mortality. That's what's going to happen if you eat the fruit of this tree. And the fruit of this tree becomes what we would experience within mortality. And let's just think about what that might be. So there's good parts of mortality, right? You'll be able to create family. You'll be able to obtain knowledge. So both of those are things that you might write um, on your tree with some little fruit by it. 
but also as part of that journey or that experience, um, there will be death, there will be addiction, there will be sickness, and there will be weakness. All of those things would be a part of mortality. And as we think about that, um, and think about the name David and I were talking about, um, we call this the tree of knowledge of good and evil, but it could also be the tree of experiencing good and evil. This was, this was something, a choice that would be made that would take us into a place that we had to enter into. And, and, and I think it's interesting when you look on this fill in the blank that we have there, Moses um, 3, 9. God mm. says that he planted both of those trees. And normally we associate that the other tree, you know, with something that God would do and not necessarily this one, because you look at some of the fruits on there and you're just like, I don't think any of those would be associated with God, but you can see again, imagistically him planting the trees is almost like, wait, this was his idea. Mm -hmm. This was his design initially that there's something about experiencing good and evil that's that going is to lead, necessary. That's necessary. It's necessary for his to progression. Yeah. And I think it's interesting because um, I think about this choice in Eden that would cause us to leave the presence of God for a time to learn wisdom and to become. There were lessons that could not be learned in heaven. And we knew that. There was wisdom that could only come from separation. Um, there, that leaving creates this longing for home, right? And we become creatures of choosing that we get to decide if we want to become and return to live with him. And I think about Eve in that moment, and I just can't help but picture that moment of sitting on the dumpster and her looking down and thinking, I don't know what's going to be down there. D did she know? I just, sometimes I wonder, did she lean over and think, you know, this could be messy and I don't know what else is going to be down there. And I don't actually know what it's going to look like. And I'm not sure how I will get out. Mm -hmm. Right. All of those same things. And I wonder to myself, did she know her choice would bring death and sickness and children and thorns and all of the blessings and trials that come with a life on earth? Did she know about the chance for wandering, for visiting the dark places, for experiencing that ache of discouragement? Did she understand separation from God? Like, did she know what that was going to be like? And if so, it would have been so frightening to consider the reality of that moment for her, knowing that her own merits would never be enough to get her back home again. But God had a plan mm. and the plan included a second tree. And so let's think for a minute, just what do we know um, about those trees? On, on this tree, we do know it was good for food, pleasant to the eyes. Um, it was desired to make man wise. We learned that in Genesis three, we're pulling a little bit out of Genesis, um, three, as we enter into this, because, and we'll do the same thing with Moses three. We just, we want you to have a full picture of these trees, um, that there's, um, there's going to be, you know, it's, it's beautiful and it has intrigue in it and it is going to make you wise, but it is also going to bring pain and separation and and really hard things. Mm. And then there's going to be this other tree. 
that we're going to get to. And, and we know the name of this tree, right? It's called the tree of life. Now we read in second Nephi two fifteen, and you actually might want to go there in second Nephi two fifteen because we learned something important about these trees. Um, and one of the things that we learn is about opposition. So, um, to bring about his eternal purposes, this is Second Nephi 2.15, in the end of man, after he had created our first parents and the beasts of the field and the fowls of the air and in fine all things which were created, it must needs be that there was an opposition, even in the forbidden fruit in opposition to the tree of life, the one being sweet and the other being bitter. And so one thing that we want to keep in mind is that these two trees stand in opposition to each other, um, it, both for benefit, but also for hard things, right? Sweet and bitter. Mm. And so if this tree, with this tree, we are cut off from the presence of God, the opposite of that would be that this tree would enable us to return to the presence of God. Um, this tree is described as being, um, as having beauty and whiteness, precious, Above all, in 1 Nephi 11, we start reading about that this tree represents the love of God. And we love what Elder Bednar teaches us about this tree. Yeah, he says this. We'll link this talk. The central feature in Lehi's dream is the tree of life, a representation of the love of God. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life, John 3, 16. Thus, the birth, life, and atoning sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ are the great manifestations of God's love for His children. As Nephi testified, this love is most desirable above all things. And as the angel in the vision declared, most joyous to the soul. Chapter 11 of 1 Nephi presents a detailed description of the tree of life as a symbol for the life, ministry, and sacrifice of the Savior the condescension of God. Um, and then it also talks, Elder Bednar also talks about that the fruit of the tree represents what comes to us because of the atonement of Jesus Christ. So if we were going to label this tree, we might just write Jesus right here. Um, and we could just put one piece of fruit up there that we would consider labeling atonement. But instead, I love this thought that we learned from Second Nephi, that this is going to stand in opposition to this tree. So in mortality, family is till death do us part. But um, the opposite of that would be covenant that binds us together. Um, on this tree, we experience death. On this tree, we experience eternal life. Um, where on the other tree, you might have written addiction. On this tree, you would find hope. Um, on that tree where you would experience sickness, on this tree, you would find healing. And on that tree where you would uh, discover and learn about weakness, from this tree, you would learn about strength. And we love that you could actually um, tie on both of these this ability to overcome through Christ anything that we were up against in mortality. And that's what we began 
learning about these two trees as we enter into this story. And so um, Adam and Eve are placed there in the garden. Yeah, and, and let's fill this in kind of okay. good, like where we have this line where, you know, the serpent comes in, but there's this line that he knew not the mind of God. Again, almost pointing to this idea that God intended for both of them. Hmm. For this tree, in order to experience what would need to what we would need to experience in order to become, but because of what comes with this, there would also need to be Jesus and a way to overcome the consequences of this benefit right here. And yep. so both trees acting together, you know, I, we're talking symbolism here, mortality and Jesus acting together is what helps us to bring about what our heavenly parents' intentions were. Which was becoming place. and progression and increase. And, right, and is, all of this was needed, right? Mortality is just as needed as Jesus was. And we get into that story and we read about Satan coming down, uh, coming into the garden to talk to Eve. And he tells her, why don't you want to eat the fruit of this tree? He tells her, because it's good. It's good for food and it's pleasant. And and all of those things that she says, and she says, I can't because if I eat that tree, um, I will surely die. And he says to her, you will not surely die, but you will become as the gods. And one of the things that we learn about Satan right at the very beginning of the Bible is that he loves to speak in half-truths and um, also he lies. Full lies, yeah. And so... Every time he opens his mouth in scripture or when you are sitting in the temple, every time Satan opens his mouth, we need to be thinking to ourselves, okay, wait a minute. This has to either be a half truth or a lie, everything that he's saying. And so what do I know about Jesus and about God's plan that would help empower me to overcome what Satan is trying to teach me. And I feel like that's really important. There's also a moment um, after Adam and Eve partake of the fruit, when we see those cherubim come with a flaming sword. And I wonder if you know where that is, because sometimes it's fun to say, I'm just telling the story as we go, but we'll, we'll let you know where that is. Um, Moses 4.31 is one of the spots you can find that. Um, and I love when, as we read in here, oh, this is my Moses, but I wanted to read the Genesis one. Um, it talks about those flaming cherubim, and then they're going to, it tells us in Genesis 3.24, so he drove out the man and he placed at the east of the garden of Eden cherubims and a flaming sword, which turned every way. And then it says to keep the way of the tree of life. And I love looking at the Hebrew translation of that because it gives me a different picture than I've ever had before. Those words could also be translated to say he placed cherubims and a flaming sword, which turned every way to protect the path of the tree of life. And I love the thought of that, especially when we hook that into Nephi and his vision, how important that path to the tree, or as Elder Bednar said, to Jesus was. And, and was that a path that from the very beginning, God protected to make sure we would be able to access everything that we would need to be able to return 
home to him. And, and I love when we read um, in Alma where it talks about there was a time granted. Had, mm-hmm. had Adam eaten the fruit of the one tree and then immediately eaten the fruit of the other tree, he would have lived forever, just like the tree says he would, but in sin. And we start learning that there's a really important part of this process. There's an important thing that happens between this tree and this tree, um, this plan of mortality. And we sat down and wrote down why, what was so important about mortality and well, and I think like, as I'm like listening to you, I'm just kind of thinking to myself, well, of course they want to have wanted to immediately go to that tree mm-hmm. right after, right? Because they were, oh no, like we ate this one. Now we're maybe recognizing that I have to go into mortality and they're like, I actually don't want to, I want to go to this one. <laughs> like, I just want to solve this really first. And it's almost as if he's saying, uh, not yet. You, you can't come to this tree yet. You have to go that way. You know, you yeah. have to experience There's something mortality. important yes. about mortality that you have to have. And, and Alma hints at that because he uses this phrase, which I love. He says, um, there is time granted, right? There's mortality becomes this time granted. And there is a work that has to be done here that can't be done anywhere else. And, and part of that work requires mortality, like obtaining a body, it, be, it requires becoming mortal, but it also requires a redeemer. And there is something about that path that we were just reading about, that covenant path. Those are mortality experiences that we have to participate in, in order to become as a God. Mm. And I think that whole process pulled together, then we start saying, okay, So what is similar about this story that would be similar about my story if I'm looking at it mythopoetically? And and what would be similar is I chose to come to mortality too. And I am going to have interactions with Satan. And I'm going to have experiences that teach me the knowledge of good and evil. But I am also going to have the opportunity to progress down a path And there's part of me that just loves to think guarded by sword and angels that is going to allow me to get here if I choose, right? That I'm going to continue to walk that direction. And my end goal then would be to return home. And that could be the whole story if we wanted it to, except for one of the things that I love that we both love is we are going to get introduced to opposition, we're going to get introduced to Satan and that role in our mortal experience. And what we learn about shame versus guilt, what we learn about making a wrong choice and being able to right ourselves again, and what repentance might look like, all still captured within this same story. Yeah, which don't get caught up in the fact that there is a snake and Adam and Eve and fruit and stuff. Remember, it is our story. Each of us will have an interaction where Satan tries to get us to turn from what God has initially, you know, commanded Mm. us to do. And And that could happen daily, right? right? It's it's not just going to be once. That's going to be over and over. We're going to relive this over and over again. Yeah. And there's this scene that happens that you might be familiar with where finally Eve does partake of that fruit that was forbidden. And she then gives it to Adam to partake of it also. 
And immediately when they, when they partake of it, they hear the voice of God and they're like, oh no, <laughs> he is going to be so mad. And what they do initially, and we, and it, well, it says that they discovered their nakedness and this should not be a hard symbol to figure out that nakedness is, is symbolic in scripture with kind of shame and fully exposed and um, guilt and just like, oh, so like, oh my goodness, we need to do something about this. So the first thing they do, and here on the journal, there's these three spots that you can fill in over here. The first thing they do in, I'm in Moses four in verse 13, is they sew fig leaves to cover themselves up. So they're like, oh, what are we going to do? And they had this idea and like, let's do this. And then you read that they run and they hide themselves from God. And, um, that's, cute um, because they're hiding behind a tree he made on day three and they're there hiding behind the tree thinking they're hiding from him and God comes in to the garden um, and and says asks this question and he says Adam uh, where art thou if you read that in Genesis that'd be Genesis 3 9 yeah. is where you're gonna see it there in case you want to put these two together and then and then the Moses account Moses 4 15 translates that a little differently and it says Adam where goest thou which is actually the very first question that you find God asking mortal men and women in scripture and that and that's neat to me to think about there's so many questions mm-hmm. throughout scripture and the very first question God asks is Adam where are you and you or, wrote a little bit about that. Oh yeah, yeah. In the- and and before, before, yeah, in this. But before I read that, let me let me fill in, finish the story, and then kind of come back to that. Um, when they come out from behind the tree, hiding, then all of a sudden they start playing the blame game because Ad, God asked Adam, "Did you eat the fruit of that tree?" And Adam says, "Well, the woman that you gave me." Um, she gave me the fruit. So do you see how he's either blaming her or God? Um, she gave me the fruit. So it's her fault or yours. Cause if you had given me this nice, obedient woman, this probably would not have happened. And, <laughs> and then, then you look at Eve and that's in verse 12. Right. You're looking and then he's just like, then it's Eve right after, yeah. you know, Eve. And then she's like, well, it was actually the snake. Okay. I cannot be to blame for this. It was him. He came and he lied. And what is so interesting about this story is it is totally our story. They, make a mistake. They rebel against God for whatever intention and they try and cover it up. They try and run and hide from it and they try and blame other people for it. And honestly, we have been mimicking our first parents ever since. And we have, we've done that. And I I wrote a little bit about this in the devotional book and just something to consider with that question when he asks, where are you? When he's in that place of hiding and covering and blaming, God's like, stop, where are you? Or, or where are you going? Where are you headed? Um, we disobey. We try to cover up our problems. We run, we hide, and we blame. And it seems like God would still ask us the same question he did to Adam and Eve. Where are you? Where are you spiritually? Are you where you want to be? And where goest thou? Or in other words, which direction are you facing? And why are you running and hiding from the only one who can actually solve this problem? What did the serpent tell you about me that would make you think I was the kind of father you would want to run from? And then an invitation from him where he's almost essentially saying, let me show you who I actually am. I mean, every time I read this story, as reading it as a dad, it breaks my heart 
because his children, they run and they hide from him. And if I walked into the door, and unless they were playing hide and go seek, which is so fun, but if they were (laughs) running and hiding in fear of what I was going to do, it breaks my heart to think like, who, who do you think I am that you would want to run and, and hide from me? I, I can fix this. And, and he must have told you something about my character. In fact, I love the words when he comes into the garden because it says he comes in in the cool of the day. Yeah. Walking in the cool. Where's in that verse? In verse 8. And they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. Which is actually a, a, a Hebrew way of saying um, friendship and relationship. And you love that it's at the time of the evening breeze is how the Greek translates it. Almost like they had a daily appointment, Mm -hmm. you know. And And, and and he he comes walking in. in. It's not like he's... Fee, five, stomping. Fum, fum, yeah. You know, he's like, who eat my fruit, you know, or anything like that. He walks in and, and there is this moment where they have to learn, like we've been talking about the last two weeks, what is the heart and character of God? Who did you think he was? And let him show you who he actually is. And what he does next, I think, shows what that character and heart is because he comes to them and he says, actually, let me cover you. You tried to cover this and hide from this in your own way, but let me do it for you. And in Moses 4, 27, he clothes them in a coat of skins. And uh, and I'm sure you can just use your imagination to understand this. In order to get the skins off of an animal, that animal has to die. And so right there in the Garden of Eden, they are being clothed in sacrificial love. They're being covered the, the Hebrew word sometimes translated as covered and, and sometimes as clothed is this word kafar. It's the same word that they use for atone, to, to cover something or to clothe something. And, and right there, there is this moment where an innocent sacrifice is made so that their nakedness, their guilt, shame, and fully exposed can be covered. Mm. And it's a, 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 a tender expression and looking forward to the the role that Jesus would play in any of our mistakes that we that we make. Yeah. And I love that he also in that moment wants to set up for Adam and Eve who Satan is, right? He's like let me just explain to you who Satan is and and he goes through and and he tells that's the part when he tells Satan on your belly you shall go and I just had it out and then I was so excited to go to the next place but um because you've done this you'll be cursed And upon your belly, you shall go and dust will you eat all the days of your life. And then he says, I will put enmity between thee and the woman and between thy seed and her seed. And from the very beginning, he explains to Adam and Eve, this is who you are warring against. Not against me. Yes. Right? Like we're not not in a battle with each other. We're We're on the same team. Yes. And this is the battle that we are facing and how important it is to remember and we see this in the Adam and Eve story, but this is like the story of mortality. We will see this played out in also regular movies, right? Star Wars, you see it. Harry Potter, you see it. It is the theme of our existence is this battle of good against evil, of trying to overcome. We are in a realm of overcoming. That's where we live right now. And and also who we become in the battle. Yes. Right? Like yep. who you become in the battle 
is a better version of who you would have become in a time of peace or tranquility, right? There's something about engaging in the wrestle that helps you to become someone. And I think that's so important because some people will tell you, well, Satan was just trying to present a different plan and it was unfair of God not to you know, whatever. And, and they want to paint Satan in this light of like, well, do we really understand what was happening? I love that from the very beginning, God was like, let me tell you who this is. And let me tell you what you're up against. And, and what his intentions are. Right. And, and as we talked about his plan in the very beginning, right? It was so interesting because you look at what he said. Where were we reading that? In Doctrine and Covenants. Is that where it was? I think it was the beginning of four. Yeah. Um, where he he wants to come in and say, I want to do this Verse three. my yeah. way, and I want the power, and I'm not going to give anyone agency, right? That This is how life with me would be. You will lose all your agency, and you will be under my power. That's what I want it to look like. And God's plan was, I will give you your agency, right? You will become creatures of choosing. You will go down and and I'm going to let you have experiences where you will learn and progress and become. And you're not going to do it right the first time, but that's going to be okay. That's part of learning Mm -hmm. to use agency. And because I know you won't do it right the first time that you're practicing, right? We're growing into this becoming, I will provide for you a savior, right? There, yeah. there will be this plan of redemption. So it's okay. It's going to be okay if you make a mistake yeah. because this will cover you. That's what I'm going to give you from the very beginning. And, um, and when you do, don't run and hide and cover yeah. yourself from me, right? Yeah, because it's through my power, actually, through the power of priesthood and covenants and, and that power that comes to us, that's how you are going to overcome. And he sets it up right at the very beginning. And I, I love the thought of that. And because that's how he enters in, instead of this being a moment of shame um, or a moment of hiding or a moment of embarrassment, I love when Adam and Eve talk about, okay, we had this learning experience in the garden. We, we had this moment in the garden and they teach about it. They talk about it. It's not something that is like secret and nobody mentioned this and we've got to hide this under the rug. But they're like, no, we made a mistake. And then God came into the story. And because God came into the story, this is what happened. Remember, Satan was like, hide yourself. And God was like, no, let me open your eyes right? Mm -hmm. Let me open the situation. Let's crack it open for everyone to see. And you love in Moses five, what happens because of how God handles mistakes. And I love to think too, that if, if as a parent, I handle mistakes with that, my children make well, hopefully this will be the same outcome of that mistake rather than saying, we have to hide this. We can never talk about it. We whatever, but to go through this process of growth and becoming. And the lens that we look at our own mistakes. Yes. Through. Yes. Right? Like God's giving us a correct way to look at the mistakes of mortality. Right so here. You, so this is in the journal right here. Lessons from transgression is what we labeled this. Um, there's that little line you'll see in the journal 
mm. where it's got the thorns yeah, and thistles. Gonna... And, he, and he actually says, there will be thorns and thistles for thy sake. There will be like all of these things that you yeah. consider it's negative, but Moses they're for 4, you. Moses 23, and you right? love when he just is like, cursed shall be the ground for thy sake. In sorrow shall thou eat about all the days of thy life. And, and the mistakes are part of what we do. I think about... Um, Megan playing that basketball game that one time and I was sitting right behind where the team was sitting and this girl threw in a pass and it went through the hands of this other girl and you could just see defeat on her face. She couldn't even like get back into the game. And it's the next time they had the ball, the coach called a timeout and they came over and I loved when he said to them, I don't care about the mistake. I know you are going to make mistakes. It's not the mistake I care about. It's what you do after the mistake that I care about. It's how you recover. And as soon as he said that, I, in my mind, I was like, oh, I can just hear the father saying, I know you're going to make mistakes, right? I actually plan for it. Yeah. Uh, I know that's going to happen. I, I, I'm not concerned about whether you will or will not make mistakes. What I care about is what you do after the mistake. Mm and how you recover. And that's kind of what we watch right here. And I love that this is what Adam's coming out of that mistake looks like. He says this, Adam in verse 10, Moses 5, verse 10, Adam blessed God and was filled and began to prophesy concerning all the families of the earth. And he said this, blessed be the name of God for because of my transgression, now here's how I'm different. My eyes were opened um, or are more observant now is, is another way he could say that. But I, I am now more observant. I've learned a little bit about good and evil and I can be more observant now. Um, and that in this life, right, that is going to be cursed for my sake, where I'm going to have sorrow all my days, I can also have joy he says, I, I just learned there's going to be bad days, but there are going to be moments of joy because of God and because of the Redeemer. And I love this one. Number three, in the flesh, I shall see God. And when I read that part, I just think to myself, I love that he was like, let me show you where I saw God in this part of my story, walking through the garden with the evening breeze and coming to me and saying, Hey, where is your heart right now? And what direction are you facing? And how can I help? Let me point out danger and let me point out this path of safety. And, and he, all of those things, he's like, I saw God in this part of my story that yeah. he entered in right there. And, and, and the mistake didn't prevent him from seeing it. It was almost as if, the messiness of mortality leads to experiencing the grace of God. Like it's so like, good. oh, that was actually what initiated me seeing him, whether it was a mistake or whether it just was the, the parts of mortality. Like someone's like, oh, well, I'm experiencing God in this really, really messy section of my mm -hmm. life. And I don't think I would have seen him the way I see him without that messy yeah, situation. So um, I love then Eve right after him. She heard all these things and was glad. And she said, were it not for our transgression, we never would have had children. We never would have had seed. And we would have never known 
or experience good and evil. Like we, we wouldn't have known the opposite of those two things. And the joy of our redemption, or again, that joy through Jesus, we, we wouldn't have known about that. Or the, yeah, there's the joy of being, you can't ever feel set free unless you've been constrained yes. or captured. And it's like, we, yeah. wouldn't have, we wouldn't have known what rescue feels like. And the eternal life which God gives to the obedient. And, and we love that. What is eternal life? It's to know God and Jesus Christ, his son, right? That's, um, that's what eternal life is, is to know God and Christ. And I love that she's like, at the end, here is what I have because of this. And many years ago, when um, Garrett had first come into our home and we were struggling through this, he used to say all the time, my bad spirits are fighting against my good spirits. And you could actually feel that tug of war happening. You Sometimes you could just see it in his face, that tug of war happening as his good spirits fought against his bad spirits. But I love looking back at Garrett's life then compared to Garrett's life now. And I think he would say this. If you were to say to him, Garrett, what do you know now compared to what you knew in high school? He would say, I'm more observant to mm. what is right and wrong in my life. And I have experienced joy that I would never have known I could experience. And I have seen God in my story and um, that, that my family is better because of what I've learned from this. And I now know the difference between those good spirits and those evil spirits. And I have felt the joy that comes through the atonement of Jesus Christ and that gift of sacrifice that has changed my life. And I know Jesus and I know God and, and that my life has been blessed by God. I'll never forget that day when he walked out on um, the stage of the NFL draft in 2017. And one of the announcers said to him, you came from all of this learning disability and these hard things and this life of trouble and all of these things. And would you have ever thought that you would be here? And one of the phrases he said in that moment, I will never forget, but he said, by the grace of God, I am here. And I almost feel like that's what Adam and Eve are saying right here is that by the grace of God, we are now on this side of that story and we are better for it. Yeah, and we have on the journal there where Eve says, I never could have had fill in the blank. And she says seed, but I think everybody could actually take that question and fill in their own blank and said, were it not for this experience, I never would have what? Like mm. what good came from it? And it's interesting as you were saying that, that it was the combination of both trees that enables that becoming. Mm. We chose that word become as our, as our word for the week. Um, the Hebrew word to be, to come to pass, to, to become. And it required not just the experiences of mortality and the mistakes of mortality, but the experiences and mistakes of mortality combined with the healing and gracious balm of Jesus mm. together that like helps to bring about like, the beautiful people that we become, you know, in, in this lifetime. And there's this little thing we, we want to end with. It's this uh, moment in there that um, some people refer to as the snake crusher 
prophecy. Everybody under the age of 15 is going to love that name, right? (laughs) Where there is this serpent and, and he threatens mortality and he threatens people. And the response from the father is, um, one day you will be crushed. Um, you, you will have your time there and I will let you because it's actually for their sake that I will let you be on this earth. But there will come a day when you will be defeated, where you will not have power or claim over them anymore. And there's a, there's a sweet description in there. Well, uh, the result's sweet. It's kind of a graphic <laughs> description, I guess, <clears throat> where he says, <clears throat> um, I, someone's going to crush you. Um, in the moment he crushes your head, you will bruise his heel. He will be bruised, broken, and torn in the act of defeating you, but, but you will be defeated. And, and in, in the Latin version of the scriptures, they call that the proto-evangelium, a phrase that means the first mention of the gospel or what that word gospel means, good news in Latin there, the first mention of good news. Yes, you have to go into mortality. Yes, there are consequences and mistakes, but let me give you some good news. One day he is going to be overcome and now your mistakes immortality don't have to be damning anymore they can actually be developmental because of Jesus and his redemption and so it's just yeah and we love that it's just the same as these papers that we started out with if you were to say now at the end of this story um where do you see Jesus in this story and as we learn about him and he's everywhere. Ugh. He's everywhere within this story. And you just love bringing that in and then thinking, how often can we be re- reminded of Adam and Eve and of the plan and of the role of Satan, but also every time we hear the story about Jesus Christ, who is the plan, yeah. who will be the one who brings us back home and what a beautiful lesson that is. And just like Adam and Eve go into mortality, into the hard, perched on the edge Mm. there, like thinking, oh my gosh. What's going to be down there? What's going to be down there? They actually go in clothed in sacrificial grace and love. They go in comforted in promise and Mm. reassurance. Like they will walk the days of mortality with those consistent reminders. It makes you just want to think to yourself, oh, don't you wish you could wear a daily reminder of grace, love, and promise as you walk the days of mortality. And aren't you glad that you actually do? Right. So, okay. See you next week. This audio was taken from a YouTube video from our YouTube channel. You can find us on YouTube at Don't Miss This. Also, sign up for our newsletter at don'tmissthisstudy.com and you can follow us on Instagram at Emily Bell Freeman and at Mr. Dave Butler. Thanks for listening. Bye.